A quick disclaimer, I want to apologize for the sound quality of this podcast. However, the recording was too good to redo. Um, really great conversation. I want to apologize for any quality in the sound. Enjoy. Hello from wherever you are in the world. This is Kabina Antifel, and welcome to the Leaving Two Homes podcast, a cast navigating cultural transitions. Jam. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Leaving Two Homes podcast. Uh, yeah, I I don't even know where to begin with this one. I'm I'm super excited, <laughs> and I've been excited about this for a while now. Uh, my good friend Eric Huntung is here. Uh, what can I say about him? I met him in one of the most you know, interesting ways yeah, possible. Say, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a dog father. He's a whoop, entertainer whoop. of sorts. Um, you know, he is a man of the people. He's a listener. He cares. He pours into people and lives a very rich life. So uh, welcome, Eric. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where at 28, I'm starting to think less and just feel Mm-hmm. through my experience more yeah um and something told me like for you for this podcast like you'd be a good person to have and for a lot of reasons right for the fact that i left one of my two homes wisconsin and moved here um let's talk about how we met and maybe your perspective <laughs> on it versus versus mine well, a good friend of mine, uh, Charles, uh, was up visiting from uh, New York, and uh, it was in the middle of the soccer FIFA World, World Cup. World Cup. Some some will call it football. Right. Some That's call it soccer. Whatever they want to call it, I'm fine <laughs> with it either way. Um, and I'm not a big fan of um, soccer or football in that way. And he wanted to see a couple of games because his team from France, his national team, because he grew up in France, was playing at the Half Door in Hartford. And I was like, that's fine. Uh, Maybe I'll meet you for breakfast. And then I went over for breakfast and met Mr. Kobina. Yeah. And I was newly here in Connecticut. I I had to be here for barely a week, two weeks. I think it was like two weeks. Yeah, your second week. Um, And I was... You know, renting or Airbnb from somebody. I didn't even have my home place yet, uh, and I was just there because I'm a huge soccer fan. Right, right. And I'm supposed to go down to Southern Connecticut to meet my fraternity brother that day for a barbecue, and I was like, I want to watch a game because I know my fraternity brother. Right, he's not gonna have the game on. It's not <laughs> So I go into the spot Damn and Americans. Yeah, I, before I know it, I'm arm in arm with Charles, like you said, mm-hmm. and we're like, it's us versus the rest of the bar. Everybody's cheering for Argentina. We're cheering for France, and I'm cheering for France because I'm African, right? There's a love of Africanness and African people. And fast forward, I'm talking with you, and I don't even know what you saw in me, but I felt like family immediately with you and yeah, Charles, yeah. Yeah. like. And, and that, to me, is one of the things that I've gathered in my journey is the ability to, like, read and feel people's presence yeah. and just gravitate towards that. Yeah, it's um, I've had that happen to me uh, multiple times in my life, just uh, people that you meet. And, you know, as they say, rando, uh, just happening, you know, with people who are 
interesting and, and uh, sort of speak your language. And I'm, I'm a believer that these aren't accidents, you know, in my world. Um, and, you know, people can believe however they want. I'm a little bit more spiritual that way. I, I believe people come into my life uh, for a reason. And if, if they, and in my, you know, looking back at this, um, Charles was a good friend of mine. He, uh, but he was no longer living in the area. And I was open for having another close friend who, uh, to share, you know, just life, you know, uh, hanging out on the back porch, uh, you know, going on adventures, traveling, doing different things. And, uh, Charles is a great one like that. And that I'm, I'm a big proponent of other places in the world. For me, it's important to expand my horizons. I like people to do that for me. You know, I'm lazy. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, yeah. I take the lazy road on that one. Um, it's so much easier when you meet somebody to take a ride with them because the experience that they have in their life is true to them. So it may, you're going to get more out of it from talking to a person from a different place and opening up that dialogue. Because if they're here, the American experience, they've already kind of caught on yeah. to what it is. Um, uh, and it can be kind of enlightening to them and, but also shallow and can be deep and can be all of those things. All of the above. Um, but when you experience it with other people that enriches it, it adds a dynamic that is so much better. Um, I, it, it takes me back to when I first moved to America mm -hmm. and I, I look back at 10 year old Kabina and I'm in middle school. And I go to school for the first day. And my dad is a single dad with two kids at that point. His job was to get us enrolled in school, get us taken care of. And whatever you did in school, you figure it out. Get good grades. But there's so much things to figure out when you enter a brand new world like that, right? And even in America, going from middle school, elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, it's that resetting and, and finding your footing all over again. Mm -hmm. And that meeting of Charles and you... It's something that I wish I could have educated my younger self about in middle school. It's like, don't look for these, you know, don't look for these traits or attributes you put in your mind as what you want out of your friends, but feel the friendships, right? When you walk in a room and there's a level of warmth from people, lean into that. And when it gets cold, maybe walk away or take a step back from that. And I look back at middle school and man, how many friendships did I not invest in? Because I was looking for something pre, you know, conceived in my mind for what a friend should be. Well, but that's what you're supposed to learn there. Yeah. You know, it, you can't pre-learn something uh, when it comes to that, that experience. Absolutely. You're not, most people don't come in to life with wisdom. It's something that you learn along the way. In my life, the changes have been consistent. Mm. You know, I in my 20s, I hung out with my party people. Um, just friends who were just friends. 
and they fill the need and they allow me to experience life in a particular way. Um, and I thank them for it and so forth. But as I got older, I realized I wanted something a little bit more in depth from my friends. Mm. And then as I started opening myself up to more in depth people, I got more in depth people in my life. You know, the world per produces and the universe produces my belief what you need mm. at the time that you need it. Everything that fills your life is there for a reason. Uh, the crappy relationships are there so that you learn that I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't want this, you know, type of person in my life. Uh, the crappy friendships, you know, the people who either are leeches or are distant that don't understand what it is to actually be a friend or they are self-centered, you know, and don't understand that it's a give and take. Uh, and this is one of those things for me is always the, the biggest challenge of life is that like these people come into your life for a reason. Then you, after you've been with this situation for a while, you hopefully learn the lesson. And I remember thinking to myself during my thirties that I keep running into the same type of person. Mm. I wasn't learning the lesson and, you know, it's like, excuse the hand gesture, but running into that proverbial wall, yeah. wall over, and over, over and over again until I learned the lesson. And then when I learned the lesson, it was like, oh, so there are these wonderful people that don't suck. For the lack of a better term, yeah. <laughs> better, you know, term, um, suck in your life. And they're probably wonderful in somebody else's life, but they're not right people for you. Yeah. And I've been very fortunate in my life to have some amazing mentors. Uh, Jean is a person who pops into my life and she is a forever friend. She is family. She is a sister. She is however you want to put it. The labels don't even no, do it, it justice. Just, right. It doesn't yeah. connect, you know, and we cannot talk for months. She's still family. Absolutely. She needs something. I need something. Whatever it is, sometimes we just want to BS. And we can talk for hours about whatever. She's an artist, so she really taps into my creative side, which is wonderful. And I and I found something out about artists, too. They, they, have, a, they have a very difficult task at hand. They're trying to arrest, you know, um, emotion. And so... And time. Yeah. And time. And you find that they are typically very, very unique individuals. And I love that about artists, too, because it takes me to a special place where you realize these people are... They're conduits of a message. Mm -hmm. They're trying to... And, and so those individuals tend to open themselves up more for what's going on in the world and to get a feel and understanding for what's happening. Um, but I want to close on, on the meeting you segment with, you know, just interesting thought that you mentioned, you know, you're not going to be born of wisdom and it's something that you have to learn and grow with. And 
that lesson of moving in middle school and not having that home of people, right? Mm -hmm. That feeling of people made me realize what I didn't want to feel. Mm -hmm. So it makes you very in tune with what you want to feel. And I remember specifically like sitting in your backyard after we met that day, off the cuff, within 20 minutes of me and you were in your backyard, sitting in the back, enjoying the sun, enjoying great conversation. It was flowing and my spirit felt alive. I felt alive. I felt human. And, you know, to this day, that was one of the most magical days. I didn't want to leave. It was one of those things where I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to go to the party anymore. I was supposed to go to. I didn't want you to go either because it was so much fun just, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, vibrations, the energy was wonderful. Yeah. And you're an interesting person to me because I, at that point in time, had no uh, African native friends in my circle. And Am I your first native African friend? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> that I know of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, that I can recall, I should say. Yeah, I, yeah. I probably have more in my life. Um, but like African American, I have plenty. Yeah, we're using the native friends. term and more of like born and raised on the continent. Right. And yeah. that to me, like, talking with someone from Indonesia or or Australia or wherever in the world always piques my interest. I've always been a world admirer of different cultures and different uh, people. And for me, meeting you was fun because you got such an odd like uh, way you went about it. You know, you've you're somewhat Americanized, you know, because of living in Wisconsin and so forth. But your spirit is all African. Like when I talk to you, I, I speak like a, I'm talking to the motherland. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's an energy there. Like you tap in and you help me tap into that sort of center. Uh, and that's why I really enjoyed it. I love the conversations with you and Charles and me because Charles is cerebral. He is math and science and and thought. Academia. Academia. Yeah. So he is a dissector of communication mm. and people and elements. He's always picking it apart to figure out what makes it tick. I'm a contractor or was a contractor and a builder and so forth. I always loved how things worked. I always wanted to know how they, what made them tick. You socially are, that seems to be your skill set is figuring out how people move, click. Well, I have no choice. I, I think even as a kid born in Ghana, as a young kid, you know, I never fit into my own family, mm. right? And I've always been an outsider from day one. And my mom is an amazing mother, has made me feel like loved to the nth degree. My dad has made me feel loved to the nth degree. Don't get me wrong, there's love in my family. I've always f- felt like I didn't fully fit. So there was already like a weird sense where I remember as a kid, I would get like a 1% off on an exam. So I get 99% on an exam. I'll come home and cry. 
about it. Without my mom's like yelling at me or anything, it was just my like my own way of just like I had to get a hundred. What happened? And my uncle looked at me as a young kid and was like, "What is wrong with you? Like I got a C and I was happy. You get a ninety nine percent and you're crying." You know, another example is I've always been bigger and taller than the rest of my family. Everybody else is like super tight. My brother's your size, maybe smaller. My dad is about your size, maybe smaller. You know, I've always been the guy that laughs when everybody cries. You know, I smile when everybody's, you know, la- la- you know, crying. I've always been in another, you know, place than everybody else, another wavelength. Coming to America just put a bigger spotlight and a bigger stage on it of like, a chasm of an ocean felt very real every day because I came here and I looked different from everybody else. So there's already especially that first. Especially in Wisconsin. Yeah, especially in Wisconsin, <laughs> the U.S., you know. And yeah. I speak American, I speak um, the British English, right? I remember getting, you know, points off on English tests because I would spell color with a U or theater differently. And I would get that wrong, right? And to me, that was, you know, another way of like, well, I thought academics was my thing. Like, what's going on here? So my time in Wisconsin was just about a lot of things happening to me and just me in my head, like trying to like dissect. And and so college was an amplifier of all those moments because in college, I had the freedom to go out and explore all hours of the day. I had a courage to go out and explore different people, different backgrounds. One of the first parties I went to was an artist party where there was many, you know, extracurricular activities that I'd never participated in before, many walks of lives, many tattoos and body piercings I'd never seen before as a kid raised in the suburbs of Wisconsin. So, you know, my whole existence up until like 25, 26 was about trying to figure out how to jump into the double Dutch rope, right? <laughs> the two ropes are going at all times. Yeah. And I was just trying to figure out like, how do I not break the rope? Right. I do not disrespect what's going on, but how do I authentically exist? Mm -hmm. And something triggered at 25, 26, where to your point, what you experience now is that just pure Kabina, which is like super African at its core, educated by America, raised in America, partially loved by people here and Finding my voice and finding and being in tune with it was such a a magical transition for me because it never happened in Ghana. It never happened in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Towards the tail end of Wisconsin, I started to feel like a superhero finding his powers. And in Connecticut, it just kind of like whoosh. And I think part of it is partially, you know, colliding with you and Charles because you guys were my cultural curators. So I come to Connecticut and Immediately, I'm in the car with you. We're driving and we're meeting all sorts of different people. We're going to improv, you know, improv shows. We're 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 talking to all walks of lives. And for me, it's something I've done my whole life. For others, it might be new, but for me, it was like it was home. And this was like fertile soil for me to land on, right? Mm-hmm. And just kind of yeah. grow and explore that more. So, um, I know this is somewhat of. A conversation with me, but I'm going to bring it back to you. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I look at what you say um, about where you were in Ghana and and how you never felt like you were um, 
in your place. I similarly had that feeling growing up in Massachusetts. And being a gay man, I was out of the, I guess, normal realm, I guess is the term that people would use it, but it's not, I mean, normal is everything. Um, so I didn't fit in and I was creative and I didn't realize what that meant and what it meant to be a creative, but I had so much fear behind, you know, being called out so much fear living there that until I moved away and moved away again and found myself in Connecticut, uh, of all places, um, <laughs> you know, who knew? Who right? knew? <laughs> uh, but, um, and found myself the gay community and found, you know, people like me. It sucks growing up as a child thinking you don't belong anywhere. And I can understand where you're coming from. And I think that might be why we connect. But then I realized as I got older, that absolutely happened for a reason. And if it didn't happen, I couldn't be the person I love personally of mm. myself. Um, and don't get me wrong, there are parts I would like to change and there are things I'm working on always. But I love this person. You're a garden. You're a beautiful right, garden. Man. Right. And same to you. And the person that you are growing to love couldn't have done it in Ghana. Mm. And mm. there's a lot of... Everybody has their own road. And a lot of people that I have met in my life, uh, some of my family members they follow a particular path because that's what they believe they're supposed to. And um, that's a gift for them. They will have their trials and tribulations and so forth, but they don't have the same one that you do or mm. that I do or anybody else does. For people similar to us um, who are travelers and seekers we run a different path and and why we are comfortable with each other is that even though our paths are different you know you're a heterosexual man you know giant of a man and i am a small man yeah, comparatively yeah. um but we have a similar path in the fact that we are both seekers we are always seeking I have family members of my, you know, that I grew up with who I love dearly, who are not seekers. They are settlers. Mm. They're looking to settle into mm. a place. And there's, that's their world. I you have know? a different analogy for those people. So I say there's two different ways to exist in the universe, in the world that we live in. Mm. And like a tree, you can grow roots, right? A settler wants to grow roots. They want to deepen their relationships with the people around them, right? They want to explore the soil that they're in and build that innate comfort mm -hmm. and depth of love and care and moments right. and relationships with those people. Then you have the branches and the leaves that want to go outward, 
right? So there's a breadth of experience. There's a width that goes outward, right? And so when you look at the human experience, there's really two ways to live. And you can combine them as you see fit for yourself, which is a depth and a deepening and a connectivity of what you have mm-hmm. or a breadth or width of exploring and new things. And it's not good or bad either way. It's just two different or multiple different ways of living. I like where you're headed with that. And I'm going to add something to it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, there's obviously more options in the world to do, but, um, and, and to be, I get where you're going with it. And I definitely agree in the root mentality, but a branch is still tethered mm. to a base. I would consider myself a branch. Okay. But I see you as a seed. Mm. Okay. One that gets caught on the wind. And until it's time for it to settle, okay, won't. Mm. Okay. And then when you tumble across wherever you go, when you finally put in roots, you will be rooted and become all of it. You know what I mean? Say, if you're speaking metaphorically. Um, for me, I needed to, I was a seed. And then I rooted. No, keep going. So I was a seed, I rooted, and I now am moving, I think, up the branches again and becoming a seed again because I'm changing my life and the way that it's going. And I do believe I will move from where I'm at. Uh, so you feel like that's more of a cycle of, of the tree yeah. more so you, than just, right. I do feel like a seed and I, I do feel like a seed because for most of my life, I didn't know what I was because mm-hmm. I didn't see the bright leaves. I didn't see the branches. I didn't see what a tree is supposed to be. Right. right? And so when you're at a seed, you feel less than sometimes because yeah. you don't know what your purpose is or what's to come. Well, you weren't a seed yet. Mm. You know, I mean, if we're going to keep with this metaphor and it's fun to play with. um, So if I'm referencing back, you came from a rooted system. Mm. You come up from within, go out to the branches, become a seed. So as you're branching out, now you become a seed. So now you're, you are your branching out was college. Let's put it that way. Uh, high school, college, you're just starting to stretch, mm. spread yourself out, become, you know, more of you. Mm. When you release you into that seed and you move along through the world, you are going to collect the things that you need to be a tree. You'll always be a tree inside because mm. that's where you come from. But it will, you will tumble about in the world because you have that learning, that, that seeking seed in you to find these things. Once you've sort of settled on a thing, 
you may run this through this process again and create another place of being. But you are in that process will also help other people run through this tree and become part of that. Where I am now, my tree uh, has been wonderful because I get to move, help move people through the process, become the seeds and go out into the world. Yeah. There is something that they need to pick up when they come into my world. Yeah. Um, as I do I. So there's a shared sort of circle that we all run. A mutual gain. Right. A mutual gain that's happening. And even in negative people and people who are not aware of the path that they're on, are just sort of bumbling in it. Um, that information is still necessary for whoever they are in contact with. So whether you separate and sever those ties completely and move in different directions, or whether you keep a sporadic contact with them um, to enrich your life that way, or whether these people are in your life as a consistent forever, it doesn't really matter uh, because it's all about the growth. Hmm. Uh, in our souls come to this, in my belief, our souls come here to develop. And then we take back to the, the other realm, the information that we have learned. And then when it's time for us to come back or go somewhere else or learn something else, we will. So in that, in that tone, then it sounds like there are people that are either fighting their natural evolution of growing and seeking and learning and evolving mm -hmm. by just staying put. And are those that, you know, well, maybe that's their learning. I don't, you that's know, where they need to be. Right. Yeah. It, um, I believe in previous, you know, manifestations of reincarnation. Um, I was probably more planted, you know, or stationary. I've got growth that has to happen. I'm fortunate because I'm, I'm happier, I think, than a lot of people that I know in, in different parts of my life because I know I'm on the journey and that's a switch. That's a change and why people like you and I and Charles and other people like that connect is because we understand we are on a journey. These other people have not made it to that level. Mm. And I don't mean it's, there's no higher level or lower level or anything like that. They've not made it to that state of being or right, you that journey. Yeah. They're not on that journey. They're on, I need to figure out this other stuff. Yeah. And they will. And they'll run into the walls and they'll, or they won't. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to run into the walls anymore. Yeah. What I want to do is experience what I can be and, and the soul and energy. I don't want that life anymore i don't want to keep running into the walls i want to keep learning see running into walls means you've stopped the learning yeah you're done and if you keep running into it 
you know, you keep repeating the same pattern and you don't change what you're doing. It's, you know, definition of insanity is... Uh, doing the keep, same thing and expecting the same results. Yeah, expecting a different result. Sorry, different results, yeah. yeah. And uh, so when you get to the point where you realize, wait, hold on. I don't have to do this again. That barrier no longer exists. So, and in your transitions, right, you talked about leaving Massachusetts and finding yourself on fertile soil. What was the what was the point you got to that you're like, I don't want to be, what made you leave home, I guess? What made you realize I didn't want to just keep <laughs> doing this anymore? Um, my dad actually said to me, he said, well, you're 18 now. So when you're leaving? It was out of the blue. It wasn't like... No, I mean, I'm up. sure it was stewing in his head. It was kind of out of the blue to me. Yeah. Um, which was funny because it was never really talked about as a thing too much. Uh, but I didn't leave till I was in my 20s or 20. I think it was 20 when I left. Um, and I went on my own adventure and my parents were like... Good luck. Which is pretty American. I mean, in Ghana, you can stay at home till you get married. So when you get married at 21 or 31 or 41 or I guess 51 or 61, you can stay in the homestead as long as you want. Mm. Um, leaving Ghana for the first time, you know, I didn't see that coming, like at all, right? Like, you know, my dad came into our lives, you know, it's always been in our lives, but came back from a, a trip and was like, hey, I have this opportunity. I want the kids to come with me if that's okay with my mom and the kids. And, you know, as little kids, we said, yes, we wanted to go to America. We didn't know the sacrifices that were coming right. with it and understand the full scope of what we were saying yes to. Yeah. But we said yes to. Leaving Wisconsin was more of more of my spirit knowing it was going to happen. Mm. I remember as early as high school, I was telling my friends, I'm leaving. Um. Mm. Just from feeling like arrested, feeling stunted, mm -hmm. feeling less than, um, feeling like I couldn't be my full authentic self. And so for so long, I mirrored, you know, a lot of attitudes and behaviors and conversation topics of people around me, which is one of the reasons why today I don't like small talk at all. I despise small talk. I don't want to say how, how are you doing today and, and talk about frivolous things. I really want to build deeper connections because I was starved of that for so many years in Wisconsin. So mm. my mindset was, how do I see the world? Because there was something in leaving Ghana and coming to the U.S. and finding these family bonds and these deep love bonds that I was so shocked by. I never expected to leave where I knew, go somewhere unknown and fall in love with people. Mm -hmm. in places and in, in, in moments and I wanted to replicate that as often as I could around the world and Connecticut wasn't um, where I thought I was going to be but it felt right it felt great mm -hmm. it felt like the right move yeah. so so unlike you you know mine was I guess the Ghana transition was probably the closest thing to a parent intervention but leaving Wisconsin was all me and mm -hmm. yeah yeah you well know. you can't make that decision you don't usually make that decision you can't you don't usually make that decision when you're young yeah when you're it's eight not, or nine years old right yeah. it, that's not your your decision um and 
it was correct for my parents to do what they're doing. We were the, me and my brother Keith were the last two children out of six. So it was time. They were like, okay, we're, we're good. We're good with this. We don't want to do this anymore. And so when we hit our, you know, adult age and so forth, it was time for us to go. And, um, sorry about that. You're good. Um, so when, when it was time for me to go, uh, I took the next opportunity to find myself in a different place. Yeah. And I knew, uh, you know, it's calling myself bisexual at the time. Um, I knew that I couldn't or didn't want to do it there. Not that I couldn't do it there, but I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want it to run through all of the my past, you know, sitting in that realm, you know, of my hometown. So I knew I needed to leave and I took basically the next opportunity, which was to move to middle of Massachusetts. Uh, and again, continued to pretend of the type of person I was. Uh, roommates moved out. They moved to Connecticut. I had no place to go. Moved in with them. Moved to Connecticut. Uh, within, I don't know, six months of being there, I met a guy at the place I was working, um, you know, and, uh, opened my eyes to, uh, the gay world and brought me around to different places and realized, Oh my God, there are other people like me. I don't have to be this person. You don't person. have to think your way you felt. Yeah. It's comfortable. It was, I was happy, you know, happy to be around other people who felt the same way I did. Um, always playing a, a role prior to that of being a heterosexual man. And I mean, there were some telltale signs. Uh, you know, even my parents, when I came out to them, said, well, we kind of figured, you know, there were some, you know, little things that kind of gave it away, you know, I was a little, uh, I think I would probably lean towards more the effeminate side, which is funny because most people who will hear this would be like, really? Yeah. Um, but, um, I actually changed my voice when I was younger. Wow. Um, to be more heterosexual sounding. Mm. Uh, it was a conscious effort. I'm a mimic uh, and have the ability to, to do voices and things like that. So for me, it was just changing the register, lowering my tone. Yeah. Um, you know, watching my S's, you know. So, I mean, this is something that is really like a passion point for me as I mentor a lot of younger people, whether in college or high school or mm -hmm you know, however I can impact the next generation, you know, how do you 
going back to your younger self, how do you speak to your younger self and encourage them that, you know, they are on the right path and are exactly where they need to be? And what words of encouragement would you share with them to keep them? And probably just the same ones that we've been talking about is you are on the correct path for you. This life is always yours. Mm. In points in time in your life, you're going to allow, remember that's the word, you allow other people to impact your life. Because unless it's physical abuse or that kind of thing, and even then, you may have some control in that situation. Um but I'm obviously not an expert on that area, so I'm not going to delve into that. But if you are in a relatively healthy situation, you are in control of your own destiny. Mm. And the, the things that I've uh, been a part of other people's lives is having that conversation with them. And this was mentored to me through other people the same way that I give it to somebody else. And I think that kind of goes, that's how life is. You learn from other people. You still have to do the work. You still have to run through the whatever you're running through. But you end up at the end of it looking back and going, oh, here's where that change happened. Or, oh, what this mentor said to me is actually true. And then now it becomes a nugget of knowledge. It's now a, uh, for lack of better term, uh, part of your armor, your ability to get through this life uh, with knowledge mm. about yourself. And that you can't, that is the most important thing about this existence is understanding yourself it's the most important thing because if you don't understand yourself there's no possibility that you can move through this world and be predominantly happy and i'm not talking happy like oh i'm happy all the time i'm talking happy with what you're doing i call it this. i call it centered or balanced. right yeah balance centered. um when when you're I mean we have probably have similar themes we would share with our younger mm -hmm. self. Mine my my big thing in the mantra would be like, I'm proud of you. Mm. You know, tell my younger self, I am proud of your whole essence. Like who you are, mm. what you've gone through, where you are, your conviction at such a young age, and your ability to just like love and really like show you know, kindness to people. Like I've always been a people person. I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. And in points in my life, I've been led to believe those were weaknesses. But I truly believe right. like, you know, it makes me more resilient, right? Because- Love is the strongest power. Exactly, right? And so being a kid, as we were talking throughout the podcast, I was thinking about high school, middle school and it seems to me, and this is painting with a broad brush, seems to me that when you go back, the kids that were probably more quiet or not as easygoing or 
we're not as enjoying middle school and high school, we're probably the kids going through something, right? Whether internally, externally, we're, we're going through something. The kids that seem to have a breezy time with it, right? You know, we're quote unquote the popular kids, top of the class, captains, mm-hmm. you know, had the girlfriend, had every, you know, quote unquote these things that we put value on. You know, it's hard to say, but it's hard to say. And at the same time to think, I look at the progression of those people after high school and you don't see the same level of, you know, of easy breeziness, right? Because life comes to us at some point, right? It, it comes to your doorstep. When it comes to your doorstep at eight years old, at 18, in your 20s or 30s or 40s, it's going to come. And it's very important to know how to be resilient mm. and grow through it and keep improving and keep loving yourself and being proud of yourself through all those changes. One of the things I think I learned from uh, my 20th um, high school reunion was that even the cool kids, even the ones who thought they were at the top of the food chain, had huge insecurities, Mm. had major issues, because... We're all human. Exactly. That's a common denominator. And one of the huge benefits of that is that we now, uh, through social media, uh, communicate you know, with each other and joke about the sort of turmoil and the things that bothered us back in the day. But those are the defining elements of each person's life as they go through. And some people stayed in their local hometowns and that was the person that they were going to be and they're going to be rooted. And like you said, they're going to build and enrich base around their them, base yeah. around them because that is what they wanted. I was never going to be that person. Mm. It couldn't be. I couldn't be there. And that's okay. I, that was what I was given, you know, when I became part of this world. Did you fear leaving? Not at all. Mm. For me, it was not even a fear. It was like, oh, please, I need to get the hell out of here. I want a new opportunity. But I've always been a forward. I've never been much to dwell on the past. And that's where we differ. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a part of me, a, a good chunk of me, I'll say 40 to 45% of me being an engineer, I have to put numbers to it, mm-hmm. is very nostalgic. So I, I have this weird habit where I'll go back to Ghana and I'll go to the old neighborhoods. Right. Like only ones I lived in, go drive by my old school. Mm-hmm. I'll go visit my old school for the, during session. I do the same thing in Middleton. I'll drive by my old middle school, which is not even there anymore. They built a brand new shiny you know, school. Mm-hmm. I'll go to the old parks in the old library. I, 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 I think that's part of why I'm so original is to your point, I do look forward and I do look forward to the adventures that come with life. At the same time, I'm really, a big value of me is paying the due respect for the places, the people and things that made me who I am. And I want to do that justice. Yeah. And again, that's um, your, your element, you know? Yeah. For me, I have, 
I enjoy, unlike a lot of people, I enjoy change. Mm. I like certain things in my life to, to be consistent. Um, like a basic framework, which you can play around like on uh, an improv right there's some key elements you right. need but... there's some tools that you're given and then you go do your thing i guess that's actually it always comes play. back to improv with yeah, you well, I guess. I and the thing is, is i didn't get into improv until five years ago uh, or six years ago and who knew that that was where i was you know would get this sort of uh springboard i can't see you without improv like eric Hartung is synonymous with improv for me because you are a performer in real life, real Mm -hmm. time. And that's not to cheapen your existence and say you're just frivolous with your energy or entertaining people. All performers are performers. Like internally, they may not always show you that they're performing. Um, I happen to be one who is on a lot. Um, but not all of them are, and some of their, their performance often they go internal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm more external, and I think that it's personality traits and things like that. But I would agree with you. I, I'd say that I'm, I'm constantly on. Well, for me, I would say I'm not a performer or entertainer. I'm more of a host. I yeah, think that yeah. comes from my African tradition of mm-hmm. if you go to an African home, you're gonna be offered water, you're gonna be offered a meal. You can be offered great conversation. You can be offered, you know, a place to recharge before you get sent on your way. Maybe mm-hmm. with something to go with to keep you. Yeah. And for me, that's how I came alive as Kobina. There was a defining moment in college where I had joined my fraternity and the fraternity had done what it could do for me to a level. And it couldn't provide me the social um, and cultural moments I craved. By that, I mean, I'm a huge people person and I love people to come in a space, be able to be authentic and build each other up, have these like bigger conversations, be goofy, play, go dancing. You know, this multi-dimensional group of people that really like comes alive and brings everything out of me. In a fraternity party, the elements were pretty much the same every party, right? Like... Let's get some good drinks, some social lubricant, hot girls, music, you know, whatever. And let's do the night away and we'll do it again and again and again. And when I got my own homes on campus, I started to host friends over. Like, I have a place now. Hey, come hang out. Let's make my place the place. Because the fraternity house was everybody's house. It wasn't Kabina's home to let whoever come hang out. I could let whoever come hang out if I had my own place. And when I did... You know, that was my first taste of having my own home. Mm-hmm. I've left homes, but I've never had my own home, right? And so this was a place that was curated by the person I am, my tastes, my interests, my loved ones, the things I want to be around. And I started to do that. And I remember there was a moment in my college experience towards the end, I thought to myself, I want to have more gay lesbian lgbtq plus friends i want that and you and i talk about spirituality and attracting the things you want within less than a year i had a plethora of of gay friends and more importantly i had 
two very key lesbian friends of mine, DJ and Grace, come along and really become part of my family. And in the same you know, vein of thought, I was like, I want more Muslim friends because it was a point where Muslims were getting attacked around the world. And I remember as a kid, I had a really good friend of mine, Abdullah, one mm-hmm. of my best friends, and he was Muslim. And I was like, I want that around me again. Right. And I had two Pakistani friends of mine who were Muslim come into my life and just really enrich it. And so when you came to we start, we started as a group, an engineering group, realizing we studied together all the time. We drink and party together. Maybe we should do a dinner once in a while. So we do these group dinners and we just do a potluck and we'd host that whoever would want to host. But it was a lot of times at my place because I was the most free about whoever coming. Because when you go to somebody's home, there's a level of. I don't feel comfortable with that person. So maybe that person shouldn't come next time. And I'm like, I always said, that always rubbed me wrong. Right. I remember as a kid in middle, in the middle school, high school, there was a girl that had a quinceanera, which is like a Latina ceremony where it's coming of age. She was 15 mm-hmm. or something like that. She invited all of our classmates and I was one of the people that didn't get invited. So that was Friday night. She invited all these people. Everybody went to the party Monday morning, everybody's talking about this amazing party that everybody went to and have fun at. And I couldn't share in that moment. And it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and so for me, the exclusion of people was never an option. Like, I'm always a guy that if the person is respectful and treats people relatively well, come on, you know, come and join the group. Because I know what it's like to be outside the group, mm-hmm. right? From the beginning of our conversation. I think that, again, is another reason uh, you and I connect is because my home, you know, is open. So you bring a friend. I open them, you know, welcome them in. If they're a toxic person, obviously I don't want them back Absolutely. again. And I'll let you know. I say, hey, by the way, I find this person uh uncomfortable, you know, or toxic. I'll, you know me, I'm pretty honest about things. Um, I do try to find a subtle way to say it, but, um, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, being sort of left out, you know, of parties. I wasn't one of the cool kids, but I wasn't also on the other spectrum. It was kind of in the middle, but it was definitely like, if you're looking at hierarchies and, High school and middle school. I was on the lower end. Mm. You know, I wasn't because I was different. You know, and you and I have talked about this before. We're the different kids. Um, and there's, you know, back in the day, you know, for me, nerds were, you know, uh, uncool. Um, Nowadays, if you're not somewhat nerdy, you're uncool, which is quite funny to me. I watch it and like, you know, if you don't know all the nerd stuff and you're not into D&D or all the weird stuff that we would never admit they were into when we were younger, you kids are like, oh, I'm into D&D and this video game and computers and computer science. And, and it's a completely different mindset. Uh, and it was all about the jocks. It's still a little bit about the jocks. Um, but not so much. Uh, even the jocks like to play video games and even the jocks want to, you know, uh, do some whatever type of role play games and things like that. So that's interesting to me. And I love the change. 
because well, it kind of washes out that line. But for me, going up, it was, um, you know, that line was definitely there, and I was on the lower part of that. Yeah. I mean, I always say, and I don't know if I came up with a statement, but it's some, something I really resonate with is when you're a kid, you're pushed away or ostracized for your differences. When you're an adult, you're celebrated for your differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Which was something that, you know, and I didn't even realize, you know, the parallels and the connectivity of us creating these spaces, right? Because if there's no space for you, you have to live based on other people's, you know, rules, mm-hmm. resources, environments, you know, expectations. We maybe grow up to adults that create our own space. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's uh, key is uh, finding a place where it's going to work for you and making it, you know, if you're the type of people that we are, you are going to open the door to the opportunities of learning because it's all about what we take in hmm. and learning as much as we can from this life that we're in. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, We'll go upstairs and continue to get vibes off camera. Um, I think the lesson today is we're all on our own paths Mm -hmm. and to lean into that. um, There's no right way to do it. Let the journey educate you and, and, and fill you up and you know, find find the ones that feel right, that mm-hmm. resonate with you. I agree. Love you, man. Thank you. Love you too. Thank you so, so much for listening to another episode of Leaving Two Homes. I am Kabina Antifal, and thank you for coming on this journey with me. I appreciate you so much more than you ever know. All the best and love. Cheers. Cheers.